back, number 12, Austin LA connection, Robert Rahil, Chase Moseni. Guys, we're going to go hard today. We have been, him and I have been talking right. about this subject of hiring, which is going to be our core topic for mm-hmm. like, well, I mean forever, but as a topic on the show for like two months and we're finally getting there. And it's actually kind of funny, the episode of Lenny's podcast you sent me yesterday and how, first of all, epic it was, but how important it also is for this. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. So topics today, we're going to dive into a few little news news topics that I think we thought were pretty interesting. We're going to talk about hiring, its importance for your orgs, and then product of the week, nugget of the week, and, and go forth and conquer and make sure you guys do the same. So my brother, how are you? Dude, I'm doing really well, man. Doing really well. Life is good. We're getting a little bit. I mean, it's still triple digits here in Austin, but it's yeah. it's cooling. It's cooling a bit. Yeah. But no, man, life has been good. I'm trying to make a, uh, and this will actually dovetail a little bit into the product of the week, but I'm trying to make a little bit more push into my social life. Like I, yeah. Now that I'm doing a lot of work from home stuff and I can kind of go like a couple days or something without interacting with people, like yeah. personally, because like, you know, I'll go to the gym. I'm not working out with people. I mean, so Kenny, who is an absolutely social butterfly, shout out Mentor Pass, um, has been really helpful as well, kind of showing me the light of like, dude, I got to I gotta have some more balance in my life. So that's been my new, uh, new kind of initiative. And then um, we just had like an hour and a half call last night, which was incredible. Gave yes. me a bunch of insights into some things that I've been always kind of thinking about. You know, when people kind of coalesce the ideas that you had in my head, that's kind of what yeah. you did for me, where it's like, I've always had these things, but I couldn't really articulate them. And more so, I couldn't put actionables behind yeah. said premise. And so... Yeah. Got, got a lot of awesomeness, um, chill weekend ahead. So going to just do a lot of life building optimizations and hopefully some some cool explorations as well around the city to start to boost those social points. What 100%. about you? How are you doing? I'm great, man. I think it's such a funny, it's a funny one because, you know, we get into so many business tactics on here and we, we rarely dive into the personal. I think we did like episode two. We did a whole kind of history uh, session on us for about 30. But I think it's really yeah. important to recognize what you're talking about, how important it is for your business to actually be dialed on your personal because like the the whole, that book, if you've ever read it, The, the Body Keeps Score. And it's yeah. like your body is your mind, it's your physical body, emotional, all of that other stuff. And you're never, never able to be and unlock all of the business stuff that you want to, to actually do if you don't take care of that because eventually the bill comes due. Like I've paid the yeah. bill many times, you've paid the bill and it, it almost, I don't want to say it's not worth it because there have been great things that have been outcomes for both of us out of pushing ourselves, but also kind of coming back from those things is really difficult. And there is a better way. There's a better paradigm. So what you're doing is 100% the way. I have a lot of family stuff coming up this weekend that I have just been put on my calendar. My wife just sends stuff to my, yeah. to my calendar. It's like, oh, we're doing this. I guess we're doing this. And yeah. we have our, because my boys are all together, we have a live fantasy football draft. So I'm going to be Let's like go. sitting in the driver's seat of our car, driving or drafting on Zoom through Google Sheets. So that'll be fun. My team will probably be atrocious. Um, yeah, but same. Say la vie. What are you going to do? But yeah, man, all all incredible stuff. First two weeks in at Heat Map. So that's been, uh, that's been a Let's blast. Let's go. Really, really fun. Amazing to kind of just get like business reset um, and see things yeah. with fresh eyes again because of you course. kind of you're not carrying the yoke of multiple years of being inside of a business and like pencil was the greatest experience in my life, but it's just an incredible like opportunity to reset and say like, oh, wow, like the world is bigger and easier and all of these things than I thought it was. So it's a great way to segue into our, uh, into some of the, some of the news we've been looking at. So one thing I sent you that I thought was super interesting that um, company, I've seen a lot of companies like Target, I think is one of the earliest purveyors of this where I think Walmart does this a little bit where they will go into cities, they'll make these target city locations. And they're kind of like, it's like target light. So it's convenient because it's in a little location. But it's also kind of like, well, dude, I want my fucking like, I want my palatial target experience. And so what I sent you was Ikea is rolling out their first one in downtown San Francisco in this like three story small, smaller building to essentially give Ikea light. And I'm going to be fascinated with what happens because obviously there's the city dwellers who don't want to go out to bumfuck. Yeah, deal with that. 
And I also think it actually won't be an issue because people aren't going in there for their daily things that they're looking for, like a target. When they go do that, we're like, well, dude, the section that I'm used to having isn't here anymore versus, dude, I need a nightstand. The nightstand will be there. And maybe they're not actually using all the stuff that they need or the space that they need in those Ikeas that are so massive. Do you think this is like something that's going to continue to happen where intercity smaller locations for these big things are going to happen? Or is this like a one-off and you think they're just going to like crash and burn on this idea? It's a great question. Yeah, I remember Target doing it a while back and they kind of like, to your point, do a little bit of the Target lights. Uh, Walmart has kind of the neighborhood stores. Yeah. Uh, I think it actually is called Walmart Neighborhood or Green yeah, Market or some shit like that. Yeah. And then... Whole Foods has kind of a quasi-esque play here as well, where they have kind of like almost these these tweener stores. Yeah. It's interesting because for Target, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I do get your point of like, oh, I lose a lot of the selection. Yeah. But I think Target could do some pretty interesting analysis in terms of inventory and Ooh. figure out like the best stuff to put in there. Yeah. The furniture store is interesting because one of the cool things about Ikea is you just go in, you get all the stuff and you're done. Yes. And so that does seem a little bit, it's almost like a hardware store. Mm. Like, I don't know if a small Lowe's works or a small Home Depot works because part of the value prop is like, whatever you need, we have it. So that makes me a little wary. I do yeah. think there might be an interesting play in the sense of, again, they're high velocity products and it becomes a showroom where one of the challenges of buying furniture is what's the fabric? What does it look like? How yeah. comfortable is it? Et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it could possibly be like a Apple store play of yeah. like, hey, this is just a showroom. We actually don't sell you anything here because yeah. with those small footprints, there's no way there's warehousing on-prem. No, no, like, no. So that, that probably cuts that out. So I think it could be interesting. What would be fascinating for me is if they almost made it like, Ikea couture or something where it's yeah. almost like a, a budget West Elm and yeah. they only have very high end furniture in there that you can touch yeah. by feel yeah. and then they just have it shipped to your house. I think that could be an interesting play. But in terms yeah, of like that. the value props of Ikea or the kind of, I, I sent you that podcast, the jobs to be done for Ikea, yeah. I think is a one-stop shop budget play. Yeah. And so it's kind of counter to both of those, right? Where it's like you can't buy everything there. The selection's small and you can't get it that day. So like I think those two big value props and again if they're doing that kind of higher end ticket sale or their higher end pieces, um that takes away the budget. So it's interesting. I think I would just have to know more about what what the impetus behind that was yeah. doing because I, I I totally agree with you like the IKEA in Austin is you know almost a 30 40 minute drive out of the city like it's yeah. it's on the it's in the suburbs because they need that big footprint right yeah. i mean the store is absolutely massive but there is also the aspect of like all right cool if i do need stuff i know i'll be able to find something there i can go whatever i'll take a day and ruin the day and go buy all this furniture <laughs> but at least i get it done in one swoop so i don't know where do you land <laughs> ruin the day. So I think what you brought up is really fascinating, which is like this idea of it being more of a showroom, almost to the like Apple or Tesla, the way that they run their business or even Peloton, where you'll go yep. into those locations, you're just checking things out, it's to touch and feel it. Glossier tried to do something similar to this. I think it really just comes down to the jobs to be done for the customer with the expectation of the brand. And I think that's probably like, I worked at a brand, it was my first job out of grad school, and they were selling like $100 shoes and mm -hmm. they're for women. And they went and they're like, hey, we want to go make, because we know what like our margins are. We want to go and take, say, 15, 20% of these customers and move them up to $250 shoes. We're going to make them in Spain and Portugal, yada, yada. But no one from that ICP wanted $250 shoes from this brand. Yeah. So they went and spent a fucking grip of, uh, of capital to get there. Shoes were beautiful. And D.O. fucking A. And I did it just an insanely good marketing. Like, yeah. the photo shoot was beautiful. Everything was set up. We got everything ready for all the yeah. trade shows, yada, yada. We sold them in hard to these people who didn't even want them, took case packs, yeah. chargeback city, all of this. And my question becomes, like, if that is the play, let's just say they go showroom and higher end, 
is that something mm-hmm. that anyone actually wants from IKEA? Am I... I don't know if a, a brand, this is a question actually for you. You're more of the brand, you're the brand whisperer than me. Can a brand that's been established for say 50 plus years, even like Nike, any of these kind of guys, but like Ikea, which is known for efficient cost, mm-hmm. go up market and expect to see any sort of impact if there's a meaningful amount of budget and spend behind it, or is it a long play for them? So I, I know we're kind of dovetailing off of this, but I'm curious what you think about that. I think it becomes more of a challenge for the Ikeas than the Targets because this is exactly what Target did. They just started stocking like some of Target's clothes now are actually like not that budget anymore. Some of Target's brands are like really nice. And so Target, I think, has moved. I don't even necessarily move that market. That was essentially, I think, their product dif- or their brand differentiation where I'm old. So like back in the day, it was like Kmart. Walmart yeah. was this kind of like, you know, like yeah, the lower yeah, yeah. level people. And yeah. then like the the fancier bougie people shopped at the Target. Yeah, yeah it's Target. So, yeah. I, so yeah. I think that as a kind of retailer, it's a little easier to move up market when you're just a function of the products you house. Yeah. Whereas IKEA is much more mm-hmm. integrated into their supply chains. And yeah. so yeah. I don't know. I think it's going to be a challenge. I think it would have been interesting for them to create maybe like a sub-brand. So we have a grocery store out here called HEB. It's a massive grocery store. It's actually an incredible grocery store, but it's very analogous to like an Ikea or a um, Walmart or something like that, where it's just all the selection, really good prices, not necessary. And then some of them are, are like the super Walmarts as well, where it's just this incredible store. But they also have this sub brand out here called Central Market, which is a smaller store and it's really focused on health, wellness, like yeah. people it, think of it almost like a competitor to Whole Foods, right? Yeah. And so I think that would have been more interesting if, again, it was like Ikea Couture or like some sort yeah. of budget West Elm. Yeah. Because th- there's just connotations to like, oh, you have Ikea furniture and that's yeah. not like a bad thing or a good thing, but it's not West Elm. It's not yeah. a level of like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. I think that would be hardware. because furniture is such a long, a purchase that lasts in your life for such a long time that I think uh, some sort of sub-brand or extension of Ikea yeah. would have been a more interesting play here because what the brand conveys and all the jobs to be done that the brand, you would hire this brand to do you can't hire this IKEA small store in the city to do those. Yep. And then then the question becomes, what are you hiring this store to do, yep. right? Because if you do like this stuff, but it's like, dude, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna go again, go, go to West Elm or Anthropology or other yep. some other high-end furniture store because I get not only the product, but the clout. And I think that is one of the headwinds that IKEA might see in this yeah. smaller store footprint because yeah. it's kind of what we always talk about, right? Like you either want to be really cost efficient yeah. or you want to be luxury slash premium in the middles where you go to die. And I, I think this is one of those tweener tweener kind of plays yeah. of like, it's not a high-end boutique. It has a budget brand attached to it. Like we'll see how it plays out, but I don't, I don't yet understand the big play here. Maybe yeah. there was something around, they saw a lot of online traffic with yeah. abandonment where people are like, the reason I didn't buy it because I didn't see it, I didn't touch yeah. it, I didn't feel it. So maybe there, yeah. Yeah. So maybe that 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 is an interesting play, but it'll also be really interesting if they uh break it out in terms of square footage, which is actually more profitable, the the big warehouses, because there is those big cost centers. But at the same time, there might be a similar cost structure because even though it's smaller, it's in such a high density population that you're yeah. going to be paying a nut for that premium. rent versus yeah, having, yeah, rent. that's why Walmarts are in these big areas that aren't necessarily in the city centers because yeah. the economics doesn't work out. There's also logistical issues, right? Like going down downtown streets with these massive semis, like oh, just dude. doesn't work. You can't do it. So you need to have this distribution hub. So anyways, yeah. I'm kind of in the weeds. Uh, if I would give it like a kind of robber rating, I would be bearish on it. I don't, I yeah. don't think that this is I would be more bullish on it if it was an extension of the IKEA brand to try and penetrate up market. 
Yeah, I got to get something like catchy, like a robber rating. What do you, we got to figure this out? This is an offline conversation because we could probably spend the next four minutes trying to figure this out. I don't want to do that to people. And we uh, absolutely would. All right, you sent me something I thought was was hilarious and dope. Was like Seven Eleven and Oscar Mayer apparel, and it's so hilarious because it almost brings me back to remember Sugar Ray, like those those shirts. Yeah. That the guy yeah. used to wear, what was his name? Mark, what was his, what was that guy's name? I forget name? his name, but I uh, sure, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, you know. Uh, I mean, again, the kids won't know about early in the morning, but uh, every morning, anyway, uh, don't want to mm-hmm. go down that path, but mm-hmm. like talk about this. I think it's really interesting to take these kind of like, I don't know, low-end iconic brands, make apparel. Like what's your take on this? I, Mark McGrath. Mark McGrath, I, yes. I, I, I love it. <laughs> I not only so we'll have to take it in two parts. One, uh, so these to your point, these are both what I would kind of consider legacy brands, um, older brands, very yeah. pervasive. Oscar Mayer, Seven Eleven, everybody knows them. The execution and the output of what the Seven Eleven merch drop because they did a whole golf collection. Yeah, dude, it's better than most fashion brands I've seen. I mean, it is wow. really, really top floor. So I absolutely love that. And I just think that there's just, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Like if you start to put 7-Eleven back in the zeitgeist of being like the place to be, like all this stuff, like, oh, yeah. I don't know if it necessarily has like massive business impact, but just for the brand, because 7-Eleven is a franchise. And so you can make kind of like the franchising sexy again. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I candidly, I love it. I think it's fun. It's awesome. It's a super low terms of cost structure. It's not a huge deal. And 99% sure that the um, 7-Eleven proper, like 7-Eleven corporate, internalized these costs. It had nothing to do with any of the franchisee owners. So I love it. I think it's awesome. I think the execution was top top floor. I actually bought one of the bowling shirts. It's on Shopify as well. Shout out Harley. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited. And I think these big brands that are legacy, this is a great way to infuse some excitement, some youth, some vibrance back into what might be seen as kind of an old crusty brand. Yeah. Again, I don't I don't know what the actual kind of direct line business impact is, but in terms of brand awareness, in terms of brand yeah. affinity, in terms of just like fuck it with it type of thing, 100% on board. Uh, 10 out of 10. I, I was really, really impressed with the execution uh, from the whoever did the 7-Eleven golf collection. It's, it's really top floor. It's funny. I got these shirts. There's this company called uh, Eleven Paris. I don't know if you ever heard of that brand. And they they do these. Um, they did this collab with uh, Star Wars. And I got. I bought a bunch of fucking shirts because they just did yeah. the coolest shit. I yeah. mean, obviously, Star Wars doesn't need to be like made cool at Star Wars. Yeah. But I'll send you a picture shirt. It says like New Hope came out in '77, so it says Jedi on the back '77. And then yeah. it just has like from the one of the original posters, like when Luke is holding up the lightsaber in the air, it just has his hands yeah. and the lightsaber. People are always like, what is that shirt? And like, is that a lightsaber? Because it yeah. evokes something for them. And I think I will just say this. I wear a lot of on weekends, I wear a lot of like graphic tees that have old movies on them. Yeah. So like I have one that yeah. has like land before time. Dude, people yeah. stop me every day. I wear that shirt like four or five times. Like, my God. That movie. Cried oh before my God. that movie. Rocky, same thing. I have a bunch of Rocky mm-hmm. shirts. People stop for those things. So like, I love when anyone can bring back nostalgia. Because just think about it, dude. How many times were you being a fuckboy and you went to 7-Eleven from age like 12 to say age 22, like to, to get some freaking Gatorade because you were like thirsty, you wanted a Slurpee, something like that. Like it's just, there's just so much nostalgia that goes with it that I think is like they're tapping into. It's so great, dude. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's really interesting because 7-Eleven is one of those weird brands where there's almost more product affinity than there is brand affinity, where yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. almost everybody knows the Slurpee, right? Yeah, and yeah. you go to 7-Eleven to get the Slurpee. So I think yeah, it's a really Slurpee, interesting take yeah. there. But yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think it's really interesting. And I think more brands could really benefit from doing some of this just uh, moonshot style marketing. But yeah. again, you have this really capped downside. It, honestly, I think they're funding it through pre-orders because you can't buy it yet. The, yeah, you yeah, actually pre-order. Sure. So there's essentially zero yeah. risk in the profile, yeah. right? It's like, okay, we got 100 pre-orders and nobody's going to bitch. Like if I don't get this shirt in a month or two, it's like, dude, it's, dude, you it's don't a gag me. gift. Who cares? Yeah. It's not yeah. like this when I... Like my heat box where I was like yeah. really excited to get. They yeah. still have, I've emailed them three times about a return. They still haven't hit me back. So oh, fucking, if anybody oh, yeah, out there yeah, yeah. is that heat, should, we should hit me back. Because yeah. 
it's going to be chargeback city if not um okay before we jump into main topic what oh, are your top we got to talk about the wiener we got to talk about the oh, wiener, oh, wiener, wiener dog yeah go 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 yeah. go, go. Wiener dog, okay yeah. so this is also another something that is i think in the same vein of jumping on the zeitgeist of like paper straws the hate for paper straws yeah kind of environmental stuff like that. So Oscar Mayer it dropped, I couldn't get one, but they dropped a hot dog straw where it's essentially a hollowed out Oscar Mayer wiener to use as a straw. And I think it's just the most brilliant use of marketing, yeah. gag gift. And yeah. again, I don't necessarily know the brand impact, but both of these are kind of in that CPG realm of like, as long as I'm in the decision set and you're thinking about me, I've oh, won. Fantastic. And so I think it's it's amazing. I'm kind of yeah. any Oscar Mayer plugs out there. I really want one of these fucking hot dog yeah. straws, but I think but it's I mean, again think about all the sensational play. All the amazing like social that people can do with it. Forget the company, right. like, yo, I'm right. drinking from my weenie. Like, you know, just like it's just incredible. Like I did that. I just that was off the cuff, right? And that's not even a good. That's not even a good version. And I get a chuckle out of it, right? If you can make someone laugh, they will always remember you. Or if you can, like whatever you can evoke some emotion, whether it's negative or positive, you're always going to have more high, like a higher brand recall. And so, yeah, this is 100. I mean, we're talking about a weenie straw on the show. That tells you how impactful it was. I would never, dude. I don't eat hot dogs. Like, yeah. I, it, it, like, and so, hundred percent with you. I think it's yeah. it's it's fantastic. I what I love this kind of stuff. You want to see that? What three brands do you want to see do something like this? Ooh, that's a great question. Do you have three? Can you fill some time for me while I think? Uh, what do I want to see? So I would love to see. This is like a, not a, such a a brand like this, but I would love to see uh, Dom Perignon do some some gear. I would love a hat. Oh, that's gas. Yeah, that's that's gas. Because uh, you know they're like the way they write stuff. They have a oh, cool yeah. like you know sigil. I think um, another one I've seen some. I think would be kind of fun. Like maybe it's more for kids and stuff. I think Coppertone if they did some stuff because it's just like oh. such a part of like our our childhood and kids' childhood and yep. stuff like that. To be transparent, I think they are trying to do some licensing stuff. Also, one that I think was is um, is really fun. It's like Chuck E. Cheese. I would oh. love Chuck E. Cheese gear. That's the nostalgia brand as well, where you can get both ends of it of the yeah. the younger generation and the older generation. Yeah. I dude, it's still around. I there's think one that's by, a really there's one by my part. house. My wife keeps going. Like I keep trying to get her to go. So I'm like, dude, the che- the pizza there is sensational. I just want to go get a slice. Yeah, sensational. Uh, all right, what what brands do you got? I just went off the cuff and let it rip. Yeah, you let it rip. Who would I think would be cool? Maybe something around like some Doritos gear. And oh. you could have like some themed, some themed flavor shirts. You could cool do ranch some shirt, cool ranch shirt. I'd probably, yeah. I'd probably fuck with I would, that. I would buy I'd that. Fuck with that. Yeah. Who else do I got? I think that would be interesting. I think there might be something really fun around some semblance of like Nat Geo doing oh. something like, I don't know if it's like a tour of food around the world or something, but some sort of quirky thing to bring yeah. Nat Geo in or even um, they're doing great on their social feed, but like the national parks yeah, and the national dude. parks oh, having some sort of really cool yeah. um, either merch line or collab yeah. with somebody to to do some sort of like uh, memorabilia style yeah. thing or taking this or whatever. Um, and you said three. Who else do I got for you? This is such a good question. You usually don't stump me like this. Um, what would be my well, third one? I want one? Trump's mugshot on the shirt, bro. I, I, <laughs> just epic. Incredible. It's just um, iconic. You know, I think would be really interesting, and this is more so a collab than anything, but having AP do uh, the watch brand do yeah. like a really exclusive whiskey. I think that could be a really cool overlap of like, here's a $50,000 bottle of whiskey or $20,000 bottle of whiskey, super high end, super expensive. And then you could even do it in a way of like pairing it almost like original grain style of like, this is the watch that pairs with this whiskey. I think that could be really interesting as well, where you don't necessarily need to... McCown 70 or something. Super expensive, yeah, cast yeah. up, like, oh my gosh, this Whoa. bottle's super expensive, but it was yeah. per, it was brewed particularly for AP. I think that could be an interesting one. Yeah. It's a good I'm gonna have seven million great answers once I stop thinking about it. Oh, it's yeah, such mean, a good I'm, question. I'm, ex- I'm expecting a, uh, a thread. It's such a good question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am actually making a note for myself because yeah. that's a really good question. And I think it's uh more meaningful 
for brands that need to inject themselves with the TRT. Yes. Like they're yes. getting a little older. They still got some muscle mass. Yeah. Hey, let, let, let's, let's juice it yeah. up, get to the gym a little more and start to penetrate these, these different things. Cause I yeah. think you're right. We're in that interesting era where um, nostalgia can be a nice money grab because yeah. the people that'll have the nostalgia now have the resources to purchase the products. hundred yeah, percent. And I mean, I think the older generations, when there was the opportunity, there wasn't the distribution network that we have now. So it's just like, it's just this perfect confluence of there's distribution, there is share of wallet, and there is the ability for some of these legacy brands to tap into this because they have the data to like make sense of it now. I couldn't agree with you more. And I would take that even a step further is that there is more value extraction for the user because whether you like it or not, when you post on social media and you get likes and comments, oh, oh bro, feels good, man. Absolutely, feels absolutely. Good. Oh, I, mean, I don't I'm know what that like, says I about society, but oh, bro, I mean, I'm saying that land before uh, time shirt, dude, it got a hole in it because it's a cheap piece of shit. I bought a new one that yeah. day when I saw the hole in it. Like, absolutely, yeah. you get that kind of social currency from wearing that. So, like. I'm down. It's yeah. literally the Simon Sinek with the Apple with the Apple computer on your lap. People just nod at you because they know that you know. Yeah. It's just, you're not a green bubble. You're absolutely. not a green bubble. You make oh, you actually dude. make money. You this know, is interesting. You know who's the, I'm going to call out Barry Hot man. He's the green bubble guy. He ruins everything. Oh no! Yeah. I have one of my really good friends who's actually you know fairly affluent has a really yeah. great business, et cetera, et cetera. We have this like little entrepreneurship group here in Austin. Um, only guy, only green dude. bubble guy, and I think we're going to actually. We're going to gag gift them and we're all going to pitch in and be like, dude, you got to get And it, oh, The reasons why are so odd where it's just like, dude, you're, you're, you're just lying to yourself. There's some, some other belief that you are not servicing why you don't have an iPhone because like you're good looking, yeah. you're well-spoken, like you have all the attributes of an iPhone owner and you're walking around with a green bubble. Come on. Yeah. Come on. By the way, is that not one of the greatest product things that anyone has ever done make sure that there's just a different color because look at what you just did you're affluent you're good looking why do you have a green bubble like the simple fact that that is even a thought and both our heads by the way is one of the greatest product development genius moves i've ever possibly like chef's kiss absolutely chef's kiss so okay we're gonna go transition because i think we could probably just do the whole episode on this section just because of our passion for it I think we're here for we're here for hiring. And yep. I think both of us have like pretty strong takes on this. And we talked about we talked about I remember even on the first episode, we were talking about the SEAL teams um, and how how we look at having teams of of people to be able to to drive impact. Like just on a I guess, what is your thesis around hiring and teams and how has that changed over time? I guess it's like my question for you and I'll share on my on my end as well. Man, you're on it. The fro, the looks, the questions. I, I wasn't ready, kids. I wasn't ready. <laughs> um, I would also like to make a quick caveat here. If you are interested in any of this stuff, um, there is a really smart guy named Nick Harris all over the Twitters. Oh, Connect with Nick. him. He's been so the meaningful best. and inspirational and he's like a Yoda around business yeah. operations and hiring. So with that being said and out of the way and the Nick plug, who's actually on the uh, ROAS podcast, so go check it out. Has a bunch of bombs to drop there. The first kind of thing that I would say about hiring is do not hire into the future. Well, I don't want to give proclamations. It can be very challenging to hire into the future, especially at a hyper-growth company. So that would be my first kind of thesis. Hire when you have pain. Not to Don't skate to where the puck's going to go. Like Hire where the puck's at. And if you need more hands, then you hire. We got over our skis a little bit. And let me tell you, it's much easier to hire up than it is to fire people. Like It just sucks to you know yeah. let people go. The other thing that I would say is as a marketing leader, as a just a leader of a vertical or an org, understand if you're a leader or a manager because there is a certain transformation that happens after a certain headcount and there's just not really any way to combat it. Like, And so I'm of the belief like five to seven direct reports. That's kind of the upper... Five is really the upper limit, but I know some people that run seven and it's just... It's a lot. So I would understand like, what are you good at? Are you great at leading or are you great at managing? And some people can be both, but I was not. I was I was a terrible manager, fantastic leader. And so that would kind of be 
to color what I'm about to say now. So with that being said, I had a ton of success in terms of going back to that military analogy of not being a general, but being a SEAL Team 6 commander of like, hey, I have five to seven killers. Tell me what to do. Tell me when you need it. I'll deal with the how. Like That's what the money's for. And the other thing was I was not a big believer in pedigree. I think there is a time and place for pedigree, maybe like in in very expertise-driven fields, such as maybe like uh, medical, engineering, things of that nature. But I was really more about vibe. What have you built? And then I would take that to another level in certain roles. I think there's no other way to find talented people if they're not in it. And so, for example, if you're hiring a social media person and they're not active on social media, super red flag. There's certain verticals in that marketing org that I think you need domain expertise and you need to be active within said domain. So yeah, those are kind of the big, big pillars for me is basically vibe, pedigree wasn't that big of a deal. When I was hiring, you need to understand if you want to be remote, hybrid, or in office. Um, And so make sure that's really clear. Um, The other thing is you really, once you make that decision, then you need to understand if it is like on-prem, are you okay with losing talent over geography? So at Triple Whale, we wanted to build out hubs in the early days. So we had the Austin hub for marketing. We had the main HQ in Columbus. And then we had all of our dev and engineering out of Jerusalem. But there was also certain aspects. So like we hired Sonder, who was just an absolute killer. And he was remote. He was going to move here, but then he ended up staying in Utah. And so we made the decision that, yes, we wanted to hire in hubs, but those hubs would have the caveat of talent over location. Yeah. And so I think walking through those decision trees will get you into a really good place um, where you don't... The worst place you can get into is you find a candidate that doesn't have one of those things. And so it's way better to get in front of that where you can exclude people before getting down this path and then understanding like, hey, I love you guys, but I'm not moving to Austin. I'm super happy here in San Diego or New York or whatever. And so I think understanding those things, vibe check for me was really important. One of the questions that I would ask myself is like, hey, if this person and I were at an airport and the flight got delayed or canceled, would I be mad? Like, do I want to hang with these people? And again, this is a function of my management style, the team sizes that I prefer. And so that's going to change. Like, you're not going to love everybody if you're on a 20, 30, 40 person team. Like there's there's just a certain aspect of headcount changes culture, headcount changes processes. Like there's just no way around it. But I've been rambling a little bit. I have so much more to say, but I kind of want to get where where your head's at and how you think of kind of building up a team. Because another thing that we should talk about was the four things of kind of making a really awesome environment in yeah. terms of keeping retention. Yeah. And then the other thing is uh, I also want to get into how you connect with your team and manage your team as well. Yeah, so, 100%. but first give me, give me your hiring kind of so theses I'll, or foundations. Theses. Let's do the four and then um, connecting. I think it's like total great framework there. So I have worked now three straight uh, remote and the last one I did was hybrid because my team was in San Fran. So I was in yep. office a couple times a week. Then I go to San Fran a couple times a month. Then I was just working at home. And I would just go into the office because I didn't want to like be alone at the time. And I wanted yeah. to connect with some yeah. other people. But no one was on my team at, the, uh, at yes. the LA office, not San Francisco. So my experience is always kind of like, let me just find the best talent I possibly can. The downside to this is like culture and making people feel connected. And so I think this is probably, if I had to say with hiring, for me, the biggest thing I look for is um, does someone have grit? And there is the work grit because startups are fucking hard. But then there's also the emotional grit to be able to like handle loneliness and being working in a vacuum because you're alone. And also the grit to actually be tenacious enough to get things done when I'm not standing over your shoulder and be like, hey, what the fuck, right? I, I have and no the, tolerance for that. Yeah, I have I absolutely no tolerance. Like I'm the anti-micromanager and actually makes me miserable when I have to micromanage people. Like it is a huge, if someone feels like they need to do that, like they need that for me, 
like I not want them on my team ever. And it's happened, by the way, where you think you, someone's like that and you realize like, shit, I got to just be up their ass. And it is, sorry, in this org chart, I'm more important than you. So I'm going to make the decision whether you need to be here or not. I remember I had a, like a, a outsourced person that we brought in house because she was incredible. I would just say like, hey, do this. And no instructions. And she'd come back with these fully fleshed out things. And she'd have some questions, but it was like 80% done. And I had given her 10% instructions because I was just couldn't yeah. be bothered to like deal with it. And that's not good management, by the way. Let me just say that's a terrible example. But I knew that I could just count on her. So if I gave her like 30%, 40%, 50%, like what's the multiple on what she's going to output from there? And so I did do it at the beginning as a little bit of a test. Like what's the threshold of like my effort to her impact? I mean, it was like, oh, okay. So I just give her a little more. She's going to be incredible. Like inver- conversely, this also can have the inverse relationship where you have to give 100% and you still only get that 10%. And you're like, yo, dude, you're an energy vampire. Like calling yeah. back to our conversation yesterday, you're an energy vampire for me. And my mind needs to be freed up to think about things that have asymmetric like yield for the company. And yes. if I'm dealing with you, I'm not actually providing the value that has a good multiple on what my hourly units cost the company. And so I'm always thinking about that and then fanning it down. So I always try to tell people, my biggest thing is grit. Like same thing, pedigree. Actually, a lot of the people who have pedigree fucking suck because they think their shit doesn't stink and they don't actually have a creative way that they solve problems. And so I'm I'm kind of, you like the top like there's always that cream that rises to the top. Like what's the upper quartile? But like, they're probably not going to work with us because we can't pay the money that someone else can pay. You know what I mean? At the beginning. So grit, I don't care about those things. I want to make sure that you're not, you're not someone who needs to be micromanaged. And I think the other one you mentioned was how do I feel about them as a person? And especially when you're starting out small, the, do I want to have a beer with you is such an important it's like everything. When you get bigger, it still matters, but essentially like everyone's off in their own SEAL team. And so like if they work for someone that ladders up to me, I'm good if I don't love that person as long as they understand the impact multiple that is expected from them and they deliver. Like I don't care if you're a douche as long as you're not, you don't make other people feel terrible and you deliver on your work so that the person that reports into me doesn't make my life hell. Like that's really kind of how I look at the tree there. No, I think that's beautiful. And I, I I couldn't agree with you more in terms of, so everybody on my team, so I had five direct reports and then they got to hire whoever they wanted because yeah. I, I essentially didn't deal with that person, like, yeah, nor exactly. did I want to, right? Like it was just like, hey, these people are to enable you, but the buck stops with you. Like you are still responsible for your stuff and I'm expecting more out of you because now you have more resources here uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the on the lower level hiring. And I also agree with you on the higher level hiring where all my lieutenants needed to be able to run with an idea, right? Like that, that as a marketing leader, you become the idea person, you become the synthesizer of perspectives. You like, and I'm not to say like other people can't have ideas that get greenlit, but you that's really going to be your main value add and understanding. I think it do, is helpful though to put systems around this because yes. so we would call this uh, swoop and poop where yeah. you would just, the boss comes by your desk and like, hey, Chase, can you do X, Y, and Z? You're like, yeah, okay. And like, that's not super meaningful. And so no. one, because I was, I was super notorious for this. And so one of the things that we did to alleviate that without having a constraint on the ideation and the freedom of thought was if something wasn't in Notion, that's where we did all of our task management and tracking, et cetera, et cetera, or if something wasn't on the calendar, it didn't exist. Yeah. And so that was a way of really starting to bracket people into not being able to do the swoop and poop. And then it also gave you a really good insight into people's bandwidth, where if you see somebody has 20 projects, so we we did something called Racy. It's a little MBA, but it's actually really cool. Um, so each project, so we, we had this big projects database. The projects were either personal projects. So if you just had little tasks, they would just roll up to you or they would be some sort of multifunctional project. And RACI stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consulted, Informed. And ultimately, everybody would get assigned some level of that. And so responsible is the people actually doing the work. Yeah. Accountable is the person you yell at or high five. Accountable mm. can only be one person. So all these other the R, the C, and the I can have multiple people. 
accountable. There's only the buck stops of that person. This is the person yeah. you yell at or high five. And then you have consulted. So these are people that need to be, that would have interesting perspectives to help you actually get your goal done or achieve yeah. the, the mission of the project, but they have no actual executional responsibilities. Yeah. And then informed would be somebody that it might be something that might impact their product or their yeah, business yeah, line yeah. or whatever. And you just need to be like, hey, Chase, X, Y, and Z is coming down the pike. You can track the whole project here. And that was a really, really efficient way to work. And it really helped, uh, again, solidify what the silos of responsibility were, but also keep that level of ownership with the accountability. Because I think when you start to fractionalize ownership, people start to care less. But when you give a product owner or a project owner, man, when people care about things, standards don't don't really matter because they're yeah. going to do their best, especially yeah. if they're top performers. And so oh, I think that was one of the things of helping understand my management style wasn't conducive without these processes built around yeah. it. But once we built these processes, there was a lot of team cohesion and everybody could see what everybody's doing. And again, you had this barometer of bandwidth where you can't be working on, you can't be responsible for 20 projects. Like that's, yeah. you are, you are overstretched, but you also like, why are you only working on one project? Is that that project that big or whatever? Let me dive yeah. into it. And so again, it was this really nice way to understand the bandwidth of the team, to give ownership to the team, to give clarity and details to leadership if they wanted to pop in or, or pop out. And it also took my ability away to swoop and poop. So net, net, it was a huge win. So you said something about swooping, like the swoop and poop, super interesting. I always tell people like the chain of command, the reason you have a chain of command and why it's so important to keep working with it is if the CMO comes and says something to a social media specialist, no matter what they're doing, even if the thing that you have come to them with is like fifth on their chart of like impact, it's the most important thing they're going to do that day. And you ruin their so entire well put. Right. So, so like well instance, you're talking to VP of product and Max and AJ come to you and like, Hey, we want to do this thing. And it's like, it's important, but it's a two weeks from now kind of conversation. You're still going to go do it right away. Even if you have a product launch that's coming up that you need to prep for, it's actually not, it's not their fault that they're having this conversation because you guys should have the conversation. It's more around them not understanding the context of where their situation sits. And like, I know we're diving off the hiring thing, but this is such an important part is as you hire and build teams and orgs, making sure that you understand the context with which you're communicating your requests, etc. Because if you don't, you're just going to be shooting things into the ether and you're going to fuck up everything that you've been trying to build. Like legitimately, you are such an important point that I didn't bring up that you did. This is why this is such a great uh, duo bromance. So at the beginning, one of the things as a leader I did not do well, and I think it is your job as leading a vertical, is to shield your team. Yes. And so what would happen would be I give my team these objectives, these resources, these timelines, and then to your point, Max or AJ will text my team outside of going through me. And then my team goes, dude, the big boss man just asked for X, but I'm supposed to do Y, Z. How, what do you want me to do here? And so one to AJ Max's credit, like I just had a nice candid conversation with them. I was like, Hey guys, I love you. You love me. It would be really helpful to put any requests of marketing, just come through me. And then I can distribute it in the most efficient yeah. manner to make yeah. sure that you get the outcome that you want. Yeah. So that's really helpful. Um, but it, it takes a conversation because a lot of times yeah. founders just want to get to the the root and like, oh, Rob is busy. I'll just ask the person that does the thing. Yeah. And that is not necessarily the best way to operate. So definitely, yeah. if you are dealing with this, just have a nice candid conversation with your boss and say, hey, you know, uh, my job as head of marketing, VP of marketing, whatever, is to allocate my resources and capital to achieve the business objectives. When you ask my team to do stuff, that gets priority. And then that messes up all of my plans. And so yeah. if that's something that you really want to do... And then the other thing is, again, if it's a founder, CEO, or whoever doing this, and they won't adhere to that, it is what it is. You you know you can kind of figure it out. But one of the things that you can then do is empower your team to say, okay, cool. 
Chase, I understand that you want this. That's awesome. But then they can fire up the projects database and go, okay, yeah. cool. But I'm currently working on X, Y, and Z. These are yeah. my priorities given to me by Raba. Yeah. yeah. I won't be able to do your thing and do these three things. Do you want me to? What would you like for me to drop off my plate? Like that's something that is, I think, innate in a lot of really awesome founders is that yeah. they think that as their ideas happen, that people's plates grow. Like your plate doesn't grow. Yeah. And so if your plate's full, like you need to full. tell your manager or you need to tell the the C-suite leadership that who is making that request, hey, that's a really awesome idea. This is fantastic. However, my priorities are X, Y, and Z. I won't be able to accomplish those if I take this on. Do yeah. you want me to take this on at the cost of X or Y or Z? And yeah. so what, just bringing up that trade-off 99% of the time kills the ask. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, I don't want to, because then it gets into a place that they feel like they're messing with yeah, the actual yeah. marketing plan, which is a little bit counterintuitive, yeah. but that's such a huge call out. And I think that that is, it was something that is, I think, fraught a lot of places. Yeah. And again, you your job as a leader of an org is to shield your employees. And you need to understand, like, at the end of the day, you are, the reason they're giving you the money is because you can make better decisions with those yeah. resources than they can. Yeah. And so if that starts to diverge, then 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 that's a whole nother conversation of maybe that might not be the right fit for you or maybe the, yeah. the skill set that you have isn't requisite for what they want. But nine times out of 10, you are the right fit and you have the requisite skill set. It's just a management issue of like, hey, information should flow through me and then I can disperse it to my uh, team in the most meaningful way. Um, yeah. But that's such a great call out, Chase. It was, yeah. it's, it happened a lot at the beginning and it was really challenging because you're operating already on these thin margins of resources, right? And then <laughs> yeah. these resources are being commandeered yeah. as well. And yeah. it's like, dude, we're fighting on the Eastern front and now you want to take half of my army and go go attack Rome? Like, we need to have more cohesion here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. just kudos to you for don't, that call out because it's, it's flank, a real man. thing. Yeah, don't fuck well, with my flank, yeah then you're not really leading the department. Like, yeah. then are are these really my direct reports? Like, yeah. no, because like it, my direct reports should report to me. That's why they're yeah. direct report. And I get to decide what the best yeah. way to distribute those resources are. And so again, if it, if there starts to become pushback there, you might either be in the wrong position or that management style might not be where you want to build your career. Yeah. So I have two tactical things I've tried and done that have been super successful. And then I want to move over to the four the four quadrants that we were talking yep. about. One is if this is something you see kind of happening over and over again, say, look, let's create a executive level Slack that's private that only say five, six, seven people are in. And if yep. you have like a question that, you know, sometimes cross-functional or pop it in there. So say it's like marketing, marketing directors mm-hmm. and up, right? Yep. Pop it in there and say, hey, look, you know, at Raba, at whoever, I want to do this thing. And then just make sure that they say the context with which they're doing it in. And it's a small knit group where they're essentially saying that thing. They can give you the context of why they're thinking that. And again, you can kind of go through that framework. You're talking about like, well, we have this, we have this. And this person is working on this. And if I do this, this project, you know, goes out a week and we need it for these things. And essentially like just push them into, this is your context, this is our context. And like, We've been here. So that's a really that's a really impactful one. The other thing I have spent a lot of time doing, I do this thing where I uh, I do communication training. And so it's it, Ooh, it's a little bit of an, yeah, I do it's a little bit of an ask in terms of your time, but the multiples are really huge, especially if you have any outward facing people where you teach them how to communicate with customers, with um, yep. across teams and communicate up. And so you share like, hey, look, let's do, yeah, let's role play. Like if a person says this, what would you say? They say that like, well, what outcome do you expect to get out of that? No, I don't do mm-hmm. this. Hey, we're in this conversation. I know you didn't like how this went. Let's try three different scenarios. Oh, how does this person communicate? And you start kind of getting people to understand how to have those conversations so that if you're not in the room, they can be really like they can make valuable call outs and you can essentially say, I'm still SEAL Team 6 commander. But let's just say I'm over there in this other room. I know that they can make a split decision if they're three rooms over in another house on a mission, right? And I know that they're going to be able to essentially, you know, we talk about the like the evangelists. They're going to be able to evangelize the way that we do business. And yeah. so it's the same thing of like, the other thing I've found is the multiple on how much people 
love that stuff. Because the same thing if you help someone build a personal brand. You help someone understand how to communicate. You're essentially saying, I'm going to teach you how to make more money. And people really, really appreciate that. So that was one thing. Again, it's a bit of a time suck, but the more you invest in people, the more they can actually give you a higher ROI on their time and make your life exponentially easier. So it's a bit of an investment, but I think it's really powerful as well. Well, again, I think you hit on such an interesting vein as well, because one of the things that you'll realize very early on is people are receptive to different types of feedback in different types of communication styles and being able to modulate what those are for different people is really important, especially kind of for guys like me and you where we're kind of loud, gregarious, very extroverted. It can be challenging sometimes to uh, get the truth essentially from people versus like telling them, telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, And so one of the ways that I've found that was really helpful was a kind of dual, dual prong approach. So every week I would meet with my direct reports for an hour. If we didn't need the whole hour, we would just nuke it. Um, But before they came to meet, they had to fill out a a weekly notion doc and those subject line or the kind of places that they would fill out. What was your biggest win for the week? What was your biggest opportunity for the week? What are you looking forward to most? Doesn't necessarily have to be work related to build in some personal rapport. Are there any blockers or decisions needed? And then are, is there any progress updates on anything? And then yeah. we would just go through those things and then we would have this nice... And the reason I say I like to have that, not only because uh, I'm a big like no meeting agenda, no attenda kind of guy yeah. where yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just can't do the masturbatory small talk, but also it gives introverts a really great way to communicate yeah. because for my introverted employees... I would basically just read the Notion doc. Like, okay, cool. It wouldn't be this like one-on-one interaction versus my extroverted employees. The Notion docs are very svelte, but there is this huge information transfer during the one-on-one. And so that's a really nice way, I think, to modulate between your your management styles and giving introverts a way to really shine and then giving extroverts a way to communicate with you. Um, it's It's a really big deal. And kind of going back to what we talked about at the top, one of the other things that I hired for was ability to take feedback because mm-hmm. that was something that I just, I'm not, and we, we talked about it. Like, I think our dads were very similar. Like I'm just yeah. not wired for that empathetic kind of person when there's not effort and there's not a desire for excellence. And yeah. so those people were just not going to make it in my org because of my management style. Not to say that they weren't talented, that they couldn't, produce outputs. It was just, I knew my management style and I knew the type of people that I needed to have on my team to not only do the best work that they can do, but to also create the culture of excellence and transparency and feedback that I wanted to foster. So this is, maybe this is like a, a lesson if there are any kids listening to this or anyone who's having, has had some trouble. So I'll give a little Uncle Chase story here. So my career wasn't going like terribly well, because I wasn't focused, to be honest with you. That's the first thing. Like, I had a big moment happen where my, my company that I was working for wasn't happy with me. And it was a swift kick in the nuts. And I remember very distinctly them being like, so are you angry? And I was like, why, why would I be angry? I'm not doing well. You're telling me what I need to do to prove that I can do well. This is a great conversation. I said those exact words. And the manager, who's a VP, was like, no one has ever responded like that to a conversation like yeah. that in my entire career. And it changed the entirety of the way he looked at me to the point where he hits me up for advice now, right? Yeah. And if you had seen that person in that situation, it was also a, like a wonderful kind of reminder, like, dude, no one cares if you're nice, just produce. Like, if you're yeah. nice and you produce, cheat code. But like just being nice, you'll never go that far in your life. Like, I'm sorry, but people want results. And so... What I'm reminding people of is essentially like the ability to take advice on and take feedback, critical feedback on, action on it, and also show the respect that you appreciate someone being willing to have a hard conversation with you is a huge advantage in your life. And don't take it like, by the way, we all have this kind of visceral reaction inside, but if you can keep calm, not show any emotion and just say, thank you, I'll fix it. And then action on that, you have a cheat code in your life forever. The minute you start getting emotional, gesticulating like crazy, like you absolutely are showing. And so this is why I wanted to actually ask you this and caveat, and then we'll go to the, the, the framework. How do you feel about 
when people do these like nine person interview panels, because I, you know why they're doing it. They're trying to find a chink in your armor, right? They're trying to figure yeah. out like under pressure, will you break, right? Yeah. It's not about, can you do these analytical? Like that's kind of stock and trade. Yes. They want to see that, but that's just like, that's table stakes. They want to yeah. see like, will someone, so I remember I interviewed for Amazon for ring and I crushed every interview. And then they have this one last one They have it. I think it's called like the, the bar razor is the last yeah. thing that they have. And I just took my foot off the gas because I'm like, bro, I crushed this. This guy's a random guy. He's not even in the org. And I didn't understand. It was before I was super analytical about like going through this process. And I fucking bombed that meeting. And I could tell I bombed yeah. the meeting at the end. And I've talked to the guy who was the hiring manager afterwards. We're boys now. And he was like, yo, dude, you crushed everything. And that guy was like, nope, no shot. He's not serious because I wasn't, yeah. right? Yeah. And so they're just trying to find a chink in the armor. So I'm curious how you feel about that like, intense interview process because you're hiring for the things we're talking about, which is like grit, ability to take feedback, ability to pivot, like all of those things that are, you kind of don't figure out until you're in the job a lot of the times if you don't do it. So I'm, I'm curious what you think about that process. Yeah. Now I'm going to take this question in a, a probably a different direction. I actually think some of those are necessary evils. And let me yeah. tell you why. The person that is hiring you is not going to be the person that's managing you usually. And so it's one of those things like when you have the, if you think of like software and users, the farther away the software sale gets from the user, usually the worse the software is because they're convincing a decision maker, but then that decision maker is forcing said software onto the user. And so I think of it that in the same way is that they're trying to do due diligence because they don't have the advantage of their CMO or whoever to touch that hire, understand that hire, get that vibe check. So they have to build this huge, almost yeah. pasteurization system to catch yeah. all the bacteria and things that might okay. fall through the system. Personally, do I love it? No. Personally, do I ever want to work at a massive company? No. And so yeah. again, those are just different. But from the outside looking in, I understand the intention. Yes. I just don't vibe with that because yeah. I don't want to be on a hundred person team where I'm just a number and I have a manager. I yeah. want to be with people that I care about, with people that I like, with people that I can do great work with. I don't yeah. want to be a cog in a machine and there's nothing yeah. wrong with cogs in a machine. It's just yeah. what lights you up and where do you think you can make the most impact? Yeah. Choose those style of organizations. So yeah. kind of like a non-answer answer, but oh, uh, like, totally, totally, totally an answer. I think it like they are, it is necessary. It just, it kind of sucks, but you, I mean, I see why they do it. I, I've done it. I've literally done it. Yep. Do a project. Let's talk about this. What would you do in this situation? I mean, when we were high yeah. sales, salespeople, we would do this role play. It was, and I like, I would always be, we'd be, we'd be slacking. Who, who should I, what character should I be today? And they're like, be yeah. a dick, you know? Yeah. Like, be the asshole who doesn't want to buy. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite person to play. I don't like playing the nice guy. Yeah. Um, so 100% agree. It's, it's necessary because, dude, what's harder? Hiring again and teaching again or just keep going through the hiring process because you're already in the it's, rhythm, dude. It's 10 times harder to do the former, not the latter. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's way easier to not hire than uh, have to unwind a bad hire for yeah, sure. Dude. And the, it, the higher you go up in the hierarchy the more detrimental it is. Like you can't just hire a C-suite. Like when you see somebody leave a C-suite in 12 months, 18 months, it's like there was, there was that, that was a miss and they just didn't want to have a lot of signaling risk of yeah. like, oh my gosh, this person left so yeah. early. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you asked her essentially a resignation, leave through yeah. the back door, please, nicely, quietly. This just wasn't a match. Yeah, 100%, 100%. It's uh. Yeah, it's, it's one of the untold things you wish you could get give people when they're being hired is kind of all of this, like the playbook of why do you hire? Why do you not hire? And let people understand that stuff. And I, I feel like just even if you give it to them, people think they should hire me. It's like, no, it's much better to say no. It's the same thing with software, by the way. Like, Dude, why aren't they buying my software? Like, well, it's harder to actually onboard onto a software and keep it around than just say no and keep doing what you're doing just based yep. on the like the downside risk. It's why they yep. have implementation teams and all this kind of stuff to get software, even when it's simple. So anyway, we're running long, but I want to get through these, these frameworks. What do you, like the framework we're talking about, we kind of both listened to this pod, thought it was incredible. Yeah. How do you look at this? Can you explain it to everybody? 
Yeah, I'm going to go through it real quick because I actually have a hard stop in like four or five minutes. So yeah. let's go through this real quick. We'll drop the link to the podcast and you guys can so listen good. through it because there is also a bunch of really other amazing kind of personal self-development yeah. stuff in there. Not hippy-dippy, actually very actionable. But ultimately, this guy, Neil, he uh, wrote uh, a bunch of books, just just really awesome, fun-loving guy. But he he basically broke down retention into four things. And you can almost think of it as hiring as well. So what's the story? What's the social component? What's the structure of the job? And is there the stimulation of the job? And so he calls those the four S's. And if you nail all four of those, you're you're basically essentially never going to have churn. And yeah. so I think it's really interesting where, especially as a startup, you have to sell the story because like, your point, you're not going to have the economics to compete with the big boys. You know, you're going to pay market maybe a smidgen above market, but yeah. you're not going to get these blockbuster uh, contracts that a Google, Amazon, Facebook, Meta yeah. can give you. Netflix, yeah, Netflix, yeah, yeah, exactly. Netflix. Um, what's your, you know, the social atmosphere? Is it something that people want to be a part of? Do they feel included? Is it something that is value generative to them? What is the reporting structure? So what is the structure like? How is their success being measured? Who do they report to? Who reports to them? Super necessary. I, I'm candidly not a big believer in flat orgs. I I, nope. I, I think Tony Shea's a G, R-I-P. Um, but I thought the the flat org is it's a uh, it's like kind of uh, the same thing as like open floor plans. I think they're like communism, great in theory, terrible in execution. Yeah. And then the last one is stimulation. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest ones to get right is because when you are hiring well, a lot of times you can get into the frustrated genius problem where you have a really epic killer. You're just actioning and unleashing them in an incorrect manner and they feel like they're constrained and things of that nature. And so like the frustrated genius is a real problem where you get really talented people in boxes that don't need boxes. They just need initiatives and timelines. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of at, at its core. You did a great job with this, by the way, dude. Like, story uh, structure is, is and people, um Is giving people that space and making like, letting frustrated geniuses, quote unquote, have open pastures to be able yep. to run and do their thing. Like, I mean, we talked about like the all-star team, right? It, like just yeah. everyone running in a direction, building, like you, it was kind of this ubiquitousness, you know, it, but it comes from intentionality, dude. Like you have to go into the entire process saying, I will create this structure because I know what the multiple is going to be on it. So it's like, kudos to you, dude. Thank you for that. And I think to extend the sports analogy, I think this is such a perfect bifurcation between a leader and a manager yeah. where if you took Coach K... So Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, you could take absolutely A players and he could put five A players together and it would work. That's yeah. a leader. Yeah. When you take somebody like Bob Knight, shout out Indiana, Bob Knight really couldn't handle a lot of talented people. Like they just butted heads with him. But what Bob Knight was great at is taking C and B players and making them A players. Yeah. And that to me is a manager. Yeah. And so those are the bifurcations. A leader is essentially just leading talent. And again, to your point, like you just go like, almost like herd dogs, right? Like yeah. fucking put the dog up. There's the herd. Go get it. Yeah. I'm out of your way where Bob Knight was just so in the weeds managing. And again, there's no judgment on either and or. Um, and you can have a mix of both. But I really think that when you have high functioning, high compensated teams, a leader is more impactful than a manager. Whereas as you get down the pay scale, a manager is a little bit more impactful because you get away from the ownership, the excitement, and you really get back to, uh, for lack of a better term, and I don't want it to be derogatory, but more of that factory worker mindset of people are yeah, clocking yeah. in, clocking out. Yeah, yeah. And so that manager needs to make sure that those workforce hours are producing where like, all my team was on salary. Nobody, yeah. there was no hourly rate there. And so it yeah. was basically about impact and impact alone. And so yeah. anyways, it, that just brought up a really interesting paradigm for me because I think it's it, your spot on there. So guys, we both have to run. So we will add the product and the nugget in the show notes. But I think, does it even matter because of how good this episode was? Like, I, 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 I mean, just on, value on value on value. So Follow, subscribe. This is Rob's usual section. So you want to you want to lead us out? So absolutely. Um, we will quick plug product of the week. Clay, go get your social network in place. Yes. Go get uh, leverage your social network. Really, really cool. YouTube channel coming soon. Or are we up? We're not up yet, right? Yeah, coming, coming, coming soon. So we'll yeah. start to have all the pods all the on the pods. YouTubes. 
We got the newsy coming out. And then, um, yeah, just follow us on the Twitters. Uh, we're both on Mentor Pass, and uh, you can grab some time with us. And we're really excited for you guys. We're, we have season two in the works, which is going to be pretty amazing. We'll probably start to do maybe like one guest every month. Um, and then if you guys do have any awesome topics that you want us to dive into, pontificate on, or if you see brands doing cool things, dumb things, anything that you guys want us to riff on, just let us know on the socials. We not only have our personal socials, but also the Growth Vault. So go follow us there. And if you can leave a review on the Apple Podcast app, that helps us out and actually saves a unicorn. And... I think that's it. And then tell me how good Chase's hair looks. I guess you can't because oh, you guys can't man. see. You uh, can't I mean, see the YouTube. YouTube, YouTube oh, and the social clips, you'll get it. Yeah. You'll, yeah. you'll get it. But yeah, it's amazing. So from Austin to California to all of you beautiful people all over the world, we need to do a geo breakdown and see where all of our listeners are. Um, we Dude, really appreciate wild. you tuning in yeah. every week. We're, like I said, going to get a little bit more regular. We've had some yeah. kind of personal professionals stuff moving around where we yeah. uh, had a couple misses here and there, but we are committing to another season, season two, and uh, we'll see you guys out there and out there next week and go crush yeah. it. Go buy you a hot dog straw. Go get you some 7-Eleven seven, seven drip. And yeah. Just just go be a good human. Go, yeah. go put some, go spread some light into the world. Yeah. Smile at a stranger. Uh, not in a creepy way, but uh, just be that, be that guy. There's a great Marcus Aurelius line of um, stop arguing what a good man should be and just be one. So oh, dude, we'll leave it there. I love that quote. hundred percent. I'm going to go be a good man right now. Love Let's go. Brother. Amazing. Yeah. We'll see you. Appreciate love you too, bro. Bye. Bye.